So my name again is Matthew Eichert. It's a funny last name, I-C-A-R-D. Um, you realize, like, as you live life, there just aren't many people in the world that have last names that begin with I. So I feel pretty special. Um, if you don't think I'm special, don't tell me that, because you'll, like, burst my bubble, and that won't be cool. Um, so I live in Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, if you don't know where that is, South Carolina is sort of a triangle. Clemson is in the northwest corner of that triangle. We're really, really close to the state of Georgia, about an hour and a half from Atlanta and about two hours from Charlotte. So um, I've been there for seven years, and I serve as the pastor of youth and families. That's just a fancy way of saying I am the youth pastor, who also has an opportunity to come alongside a lot of parents um, as they do their work uh, in God's will. Um, this is a conglomerate of pictures of things that I love because here's what I recognize, okay? Uh, many of you have no idea who I am, and I honestly have no idea who most of you are. Um, but we're going to be spending some good time together this week, and so I want to start by at least giving you some idea of who I am and what I'm like. Uh, I'll start right up here in the corner with the most important thing in my life. That is my wife, Rachel. Uh, you'll see her walking around this week, bebopping around with her blonde curly hair. Uh, we've been married for nine wonderful years, and uh, God has been really great to give me a wife um, who is exactly like me in some ways and the exact opposite of me in a lot of ways. Uh, she is incredibly creative, incredibly tenacious. Uh, she is a professional calligrapher. Um, so if you guys have ever seen calligraphy work, like hand pen work, that's what Rachel does for weddings and lots of other things. Um, I grew up in the mountains, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, so I love hiking and I love the mountains. Anytime you drive and you start seeing mountains, I feel like I'm home, and it's just a beautiful, wonderful feeling. I also love music. So this is the Avett Brothers. They're my favorite band. If you know anything about the Avett Brothers, they have a new album coming out, which I'm really excited about. Uh, they're coming to Greenville in October, which I'm really excited about. Um, I also love to play music. Don't laugh. This is me playing the bagpipes. That's a thing. I do that, okay? I usually don't tell people that until like the third date, but that's that's part of my life and I really enjoy it. Um, what? I, I think I'm good at it, but you know, it's also kind of a small sample size. It's not like piano. Like, <laughs> it's like five of us. Um, okay. Uh, I love to eat. So this is a cheeseburger. This is not a cheeseburger I've eaten, but I would eat it. Um, this is key lime pie, my favorite dessert. Um, I love food. Uh, key lime pie, pound cake, ice cream. Maybe I just love dessert. Um, this is my house in Clemson. Um, we live in a happy little house, um, kind of at the end of a cul-de-sac. It's a mile and a half from church and a mile and a half from Clemson University. Go Tigers. Uh, speaking of that, I do love Clemson football. Uh, but if any of you guys live in a college town, you know that there are like people who love football and then there are people who love football. Um, I'm kind of a love football guy. Um, I'm not the tailgate for 12 hours every day. I love watching a game on my couch in my living room. Um, so, uh, love clips of football, go Tigers. I love old cars. Um, this is my old Jeep uh, that Rachel and I enjoy tooling around in. This is my dream car, a 1970 Plymouth GTX, which I will never be able to afford. Um, but I can show you a picture of it, and we can rejoice in that together. Um, I love to play video games. Yeah! <laughs> um, this is a picture of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, so I'm, pre I'm pretty excited. If, if, if you guys are like... If you're, if you're nerds, that's cool with me. If you're not nerds, you're like, whatever, video games do. That's fine, too. Um, and I love being outside. This is me and my dad. We were trout fishing back in January. Um, it's a great thing. Um, the other thing that I love is you. 
This is a picture of my youth group uh, at our most recent retreat, actually this retreat, um, up in Traveler's Rest, uh, South Carolina. Um, I love being here because as I look out over this room, you know what I see? I see so much wonderful potential. I see a future and I see a hope. And I see God's work moving forward in your lives as individuals and in your groups and in your churches. Being here at RYM every summer is realistically one of my favorite things of the entire year. And so I hope that as we go through this week together, that you will know that I I love you in any way that I can, in every way that I can, that your leaders love you, that we are here because we love you, and that in any way that I can be of help to you, really seriously, come find me, let's talk, let's pray, let's run to Jesus together, and, and let's see what He's up to in our lives. Okay? So, with that crash course in who I am, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into our subject for the week, okay? Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible blessing of knowing you in and through Jesus. God, if, if, if we know nothing else today, may we know that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is everything that we need. God, may we be honest about who we are. May we clearly see who you are. And again, God, may we see Jesus as the sufficient Savior. We pray these things in and through Him this morning. Amen. If you look at your handout, we're going to start this morning with a little honest conversation about life. Okay? Question? What? Can I get a handout? Yeah, you can go grab a handout. We're going to start with a little honest conversation about life this morning. Okay? That's kind of a big subject to tackle, but I think we're up to it. You know, as you think about life, there are lots of things that you experience. And beyond your experiences, even at your young age, there are lots of things that you already want. That you are longing for that you are looking for, and that you might even be working for, or striving for, struggling for, right? What kinds of things? Well, you, you really want to know rest. And I don't just mean physically, I mean spiritually and emotionally. You want to be at rest, right? But so often, instead of rest, we find exhaustion. We're just tired. And again, I don't just mean like after football practice. I mean you are just tired of the press of life. What else do we want in life? Well, we want contentment. We want to know what it's like to really be satisfied. But more often than not, we find that we're just frustrated. We're frustrated with people. We're frustrated with school. We're frustrated with circumstances. We're frustrated with mom and dad. We're frustrated with our chores. We're frustrated... We're just frustrated people, constantly wanting satisfaction, but constantly finding it super elusive. In life, we also want to have confidence, right? I mean, nobody wants to walk into a room with their, with their head down, kind of, you know, hiding in the corner. That's not the way we want to live our lives. But unfortunately, instead of confidence, we often have fear. Fear of our circumstances, fear of people, fear of the unknown, fear of the future. In life, we want certainty, but we often find anxiety. 
Some of you this week may be going to John Parrott's class about worry and anxiety because you're just kind of eaten up inside, just not knowing who you are, what you are, what you're supposed to be doing, or what the future holds. We want freedom, but so often we find bondage, right? That's kind of scary language, but but I think if we're just going to be perfectly honest with each other, we have to admit that we are actually enslaved to certain things in life. We might be addicted to technology. We might be addicted to the approval of other people. We might be addicted to how those two things fit together in something called social media. We might be addicted to certain sin patterns. We might be addicted to certain substances. Addiction, bondage, is a part of what we know in life. We really want to be successful. I mean, really seriously, who goes into class ever thinking, man, I tell you what, I'm really excited to start high school next year, some of you are 8th graders, and I hope that I can graduate with a D average. That is my goal, baby. D equals diploma. Woo! No, we want to be successful people. If I was to look at you right now and say, you know what, in four, five, six years, you're going to graduate valedictorian, people would, some of you would be like, but all of you would want that, right? We want success, but so often we find the exact opposite. We we find failure. Some of you are really hoping to make the varsity team next year. Maybe you're going into high school or the sports that you can play varsity as a middle school. But that's not going to happen for you. And for many of you, that's going to feel like failure. Instead of comfort, we find discouragement. Instead of peace, we find guilt and struggle and conflict. Instead of joy, wouldn't it be great if every morning was like Christmas morning? I don't know about you, but Christmas morning in my family was a lot about a lot more than the stuff. Christmas morning, one of the beautiful things was the food. My mother's love language is food, particularly carbohydrates. Um, that's bread. Um, so cinnamon rolls, like homemade cinnamon rolls, not Pillsbury pop the can cinnamon rolls. Right? We want comfort. We want joy. We want excitement, but we find sorrow, heaviness, sadness. We actually, at some level, like the idea of obedience. But so often in our lives, in the lives of other people, even in the lives of other people that we love, we find sin. We find sin. The reality is that regardless of what else we may want in life, regardless of what we may be working for in life, our lives are actually pretty messy. So what do we do with this? We can't escape it. We can't run from it. We can't pretend like it's not there, right? Well, I think we need a few ground rules as we get started this week. Just a few ground rules for us. One is that if we're going to talk about our lives being messy, we are going to have to be able to admit together that our mess, our stuff is real and it is eternally significant. Okay? Our mess is real and it is eternally significant. That means that we just can't ignore this idea of life being messy. It means, okay, that we can't think at some level we're just going to get past this stage of life 
and things aren't going to be messy anymore. Our mess actually matters. And as we look at Scripture together, we're going to see that that it matters over the long haul. That it matters for your entire existence as an immortal creature of God. And that it's mattered since the very beginning and it will matter until the very end. What else do we need to understand about our mess? Well, our mess is both internal and external. Stay with me here. It would be really easy and really good if we could say, okay, the messiness of life, the difficulty of life, the complications of life are just something that are sort of out there. And if I can just insulate myself well enough and isolate myself well enough, everything's going to be okay. There are people that will try that. But what's the problem? We also have mess inside of us. It's called sin. And being finite, being limited in our knowledge, in our ability, in our health. So we have to admit together that that we experience pain and and guilt and confusion and temptation and, and brokenness both on the inside and the outside. So it's almost like this perfect storm that we live in that we can't get away from, no matter how hard we try. Because of that, we also need to admit that our mess is too big for us to adequately address on our own. Our mess is just too big for us to to adequately address it. I have a suspicion, a guess, that if I was to walk into your room at home right now, we would probably find a mess. Nope. <laughs> Maybe some of you at least. Maybe some of you like were given the clear instruction, before you leave this house, young man, no. your room better be spotless. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so let's say on an average normal day then, right? Your room would be messy. Now, it might take you time, but I would also guess that you could probably tackle that mess on your own. Right? You could take the clothes, put them where they need to be, take the homework or whatever and organize that and put it where it needs to be. You could put books back on the show. You know, you could, you could kind of do the stuff. Our lives are not like that. Because as much as we might try to control our circumstances, to control our hearts, to control the lives of other people, guess what? It's too big. There are too many variables, there's too much sin, there's too much brokenness. So where do we begin to find hope in all of this? Well, I think it's that fourth thing that we really need to get a hold of before we go any further. is recognizing that our mess, the difficulty that we face in life, the hardship, the discouragement, the confusion, the brokenness, all of it, is something that God, listen, actually moves toward in and through Jesus Christ and the Gospel. Let me say that again. Our mess is something that God moves toward in and through Jesus Christ and the Gospel. Now you and I, when we see things that are really messy, really really discouraging, really gross, right? What do we so often do? We turn away from it. 
We kind of look the other way. We like to imagine that it's not really there. You ever been watching... Okay, I'm just going to use this as an example. You ever been watching TV and one of those like mistreated animal commercials comes on? <laughs> and then like some really sad music and the puppy's like... And it's usually shaking. What do you automatically do? You probably go, oh, and then you change the channel. You're not moving toward that mess. You're getting away from that mess. Here's part of the beauty of God's character. He sees who you are, what you are, what you are like. He sees your life for everything that it is even more clearly than you do. And what does He do? He moves toward it in and through Jesus Christ in the Gospel. God knows who we are, He knows what we are like, and He knows how big our mess really is. The stuff that we're dealing with, that you're dealing with right now, it's not like God's going, Oh, wow, I didn't know that! Such a surprise! He's omniscient. He knows everything about you. And He's moving towards you in and through Jesus and the Gospel. God actually knows what we need far better than we do. He has the solutions. And God has worked through the life, death, resurrection, and the promised return of Christ. God is working through the Holy Spirit to fully address our mess. Okay? Any questions so far? We tracking? We good? Alright. So this week, as we talk about our mess, as we talk about God's answer to our mess, as we talk about the stuff of life, we're going to use the prophet Ezekiel to help guide us. Now some of you may have never spent much time in the book of Ezekiel. That's fine. Some of you, when you kind of do some Bible reading, Ezekiel is pretty spooky and scary because there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Plus, it's a big book of the Bible, so it's kind of intimidating. So let's take some time to kind of introduce Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet. That's a word you guys have heard before. We kind of know what that means. But at a very basic level, it means that Ezekiel, as we read these passages of Scripture, he is speaking directly for God. He is authoritative, and what he says can be trusted because he's God's representative to the people. Okay? Second, we need to recognize that Ezekiel is speaking to a very, very messy group of people. The people that that Ezekiel is speaking to are Jews who have disobeyed God, who have been destroyed and put into bondage, who are now returning, so they actually have no home, no temple, no king, no freedom, and no hope. Their lives are a mess. Kind of stacked on top of that, they continue to be incredibly disobedient. So they are really discouraged. Now that's good news because I I would guess, in fact I know, that many of us in this room are actually very discouraged. Because you're just now beginning, as you come into adulthood, you're beginning to see that, that life is hard. Life is messy. Life is ugly. Relationships are ugly. 
Responsibilities are ugly. Your own heart is ugly in and of itself. Ezekiel understands that. Ezekiel is speaking into that. Third, this is kind of an interesting thing about Ezekiel. He uses really detailed word pictures to explain God's promised work. This is why Ezekiel, when you read through it, can be super confusing. But I don't think it needs to be. And I actually think these word pictures are incredibly encouraging for us. Okay? So what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at three of these word pictures. First, we're going to look at uh, a study I've called a bra- or excuse me, a whole new world from Ezekiel 36. That's where we'll be today. Tomorrow, we're going to look at God's search and rescue from Ezekiel 34. And then Thursday, we're going to look at the breath of life from Ezekiel 37. Okay? So that's Ezekiel for us as we begin to kind of jump in here together. So here's what we've done so far. Life is messy. Your life is messy. My life is messy. Our mess is real. It can't be ignored and it can't be changed by us. God is moving toward that mess in and through Jesus, the Gospel, and His Holy Spirit. And God constantly reminds us of how He is going to address our mess in Scripture. And that message can be trusted. That God can be trusted. So with that in mind, let's jump into Ezekiel chapter 36, shall we? Ezekiel 36. I'm going to start reading for us in verse 22. You can either open your Bibles or follow along here if you can read this. Remember, this is God's Word for you and for me. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Let's just stop for a minute. God is clearly interested in His own character being clearly displayed in the world. And He is saying to His people, You have disobeyed me, you have rebelled against me, and we've got a problem. Right out of the gate, God is saying, you are a hot mess. Let's continue reading. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. 
and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways, your deeds that were not good. You will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded of your ways, O house of Israel. We had a lot to learn there. But today and every day, we're actually going to start with a Disney story. As you think about Aladdin, they just reintroduced Aladdin as a live action. Shame on you, Disney. Didn't need to be didn't need to be approved. Uh, so as we think about Aladdin's story, right? Who or what is Aladdin? He is a dude who is broke. Okay, he's a dude who is... Uh, okay, he is poor. He's broke. I heard somebody say over here. He's a thief. He's homeless. He's an orphan. He's friendless. He's unhappy. He's unhappy. He has a monkey for a friend. Aladdin is what we'd like to call a street urchin. Okay, he's a street rat. Aladdin is poor. He is homeless. He doesn't see a future for himself. He's desperate. And because of all of that, he's chosen a life of thievery. Right? Aladdin is a mess. He's a dirty mess. A poor, dirty mess. A needy, poor mess. Aladdin has no hope and actually fully deserves the punishment that's coming to him. You remember when the guards are chasing him through the market? Aladdin's life is really, really ugly. Kind of like ours until something very profound happens. He meets someone who changes everything. Robin Williams. (laughs) Robin Williams. Or Will Smith. Um, He meets a genie, right? Yes. Well, he also meets Chuck. So in this story, we see someone who is dirty and deserving of punishment becoming someone completely different because of the work of someone else. What we're going to see here is something that parallels Aladdin's story pretty carefully. But let's just start with our mess. What is our mess according to Ezekiel chapter 36? According to this word picture that God gives us through the prophet Ezekiel. Our mess, at a basic foundational level, if we just had to sum it all up, is that we are dirty people. I don't mean that, you know, as I look at you, like, hey, you got a little little something, a little little breakfast kind of hanging over there. That's not what I mean. I mean from a spiritual perspective, in our hearts and in our spirits, in our souls, in our relationship with God and with others, we are unclean. We are not holy. We are not pure. 
Ezekiel actually describes this in a lot of ways. He, he begins by saying, we are dishonorable. We have taken the character of God, a God who is just and righteous and good and loyal and a truth teller, and we have lived lives that deny that character of God and actually show Him to be someone else altogether. We have dishonored God's name and we have dishonored who we are as God's creation, as image bearers of God. What else is true? Well, we talked about this just a moment ago, but we have to recognize that we are actually spiritually filthy people. God constantly says through Ezekiel, we are unclean, 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 unclean. How many of you, uh, your chore on a regular basis is to clean the kitchen? Anybody? Okay. Do we have any load the dishwasher people? How about unload the dishwasher people? Some of you are the same people, okay? Now, here's what we love to try and do. We love to take the dishes, if you're anything like me, maybe mom or dad says, okay, you need to clean the kitchen. Cool, yep. That's me playing a video game. Yeah, mom. I'm on it. So we had like four, five, six, eight hours. So everything on the dishes gets to dry on real hard. And then you then you, you like pause the game, you run up there, you throw everything in the dishwasher, you slam that baby on like max cycle, shut the door, run back to the living room. So when your mom and dad goes to unload the dishwasher, what are they pulling out? Dirty dishes. It's just, it's nasty, and now it's like hard-baked on, so you have to get like a jackhammer to get it back off. That's, that's our condition. We're dirty, and in all the attempts that we make to clean ourselves up, it's, it's still just obvious that we are not clean. I mean, just think about the Ten Commandments for a moment. Let's just, let's just jump to commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother... Right? I mean, we, we see our spiritual dirtiness real quickly, if we're honest. It also says we're just hard-hearted. Just hard-hearted. I don't know about you, but I tend to be really defensive when people confront me about my sin. When my lovely wife confronts me about my sin. What do hard-hearted people do then? They say, no, it's not that bad. No, that's not what I'm really like. Oh, I was just having a bad day. Or we, you know, at, at worst we go. La, 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 la. That's what it's like to be a hard-hearted person. When God, through His Word, through His people, through His Spirit, comes to us, shows us who we really are as dishonorable, dirty people, and we just act like it's not real and we don't care. We're disobedient. And God says because of this pattern, because of this rebellion, because of this, this <clears throat> rejection, we've actually distanced ourselves from Him and from other people. As you read back through, God talks a lot about the people being scattered. And that was true of, of the Jewish nation, literally, physically. But even for us, think about the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve disobey God. What happens next? Anybody remember? Okay, that's an excellent answer. God announces a curse, and then what happens? Distance. 
that distance existed even before God created it because what did Adam and Eve do when God came looking for them? They ran away. So our mess is is not just that we're dishonorable, not just that we're dirty, not just that we're disobedient. It's actually that we are distanced from God and from other people. Anybody run for school? Anybody? Do a little track, cross country? So cross country, you typically run one lap, and it's a 5K, right? Am I right about this? I I don't run. Um, Okay. Imagine if you're doing a cross-country race and instead of like being last, you just ran the wrong way. That's what it's like to be distanced from God and others. We're running the wrong way. People come to us, we're hard-hearted, be like, nah man, I'm gonna, woo, I'm so far ahead I can't see anybody. That's because they're over there. That's who we are. That's what we're like. It also says that we are hungry people. That's why God talks so much about feeding them. Because we are hungry. You ever been hungry? Like real hungry? Like real, real hungry? We had a girl on the way down here. She's like this big. She pounded a 12-piece chicken nugget like there was no tomorrow. Girl's growing. Um, You know what it's like to be hungry, right? These people are desperately hungry. But like the prodigal son, they're looking to fill their lives, their hearts, with anything and everything except for God. And truth. It also says that they're really forgetful. They've forgotten what they're like, who they really are, what they've actually done. And as a result, these people need a complete and total renewal. Something foundational about them is going to have to change. Because one of the most stirring images here is that these people have a heart that's made out of what? Heart. Stone. Stone. I don't think you could pump much blood through a stone. There's not much life in a stone, right? We go out here and pick a rock up off the street. It's not going to start like crawling across the floor. If it does, you better stomp on it. Um, they're hard-hearted. We are hard-hearted. We need complete and total renewal in and through our lives. But remember, our mess is too big to be addressed by us. As we think about all of this, I want you to think about a wedding. Particularly about a bride. One of the best things I get to do as an ordained minister is I get to officiate at people's weddings. I never anticipated I would love this as much as I do, but man, do I love officiating at a wedding. Why? Well, you get to you get to kind of be there. They're all nervous and blah, 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 blah. everything's coming together. And then, like, whew, here we go. Me and the groom, we walk out of the back of the church, right? And then the groomsmen and the bridesmaids come down. And as the pastor, you have the best seat in the house. And then the music changes. The bride comes in. You get to watch this guy like fall to pieces, trying to hold it together. You get to watch mom and dad and all the pictures and the smiling friends. She gets closer and closer and closer and closer. Then they turn and there's flowers and they kiss. And then you get to benedict everybody. It's great. What color does a bride typically wear? White. White. Let me tell you, as somebody who's officiated at quite a few weddings, 
Those brides work hard to keep those dresses clean. You don't want to be like getting dressed for your wedding and then have like a big old latte on. Woo, whoops. Why not? Because that wedding dress symbolizes so much of what a wedding is. I don't know if you can tell from this picture, but this is a woman wearing a wedding dress that's really just absolutely filthy, particularly around the bottom, like she's just been tromping through the woods in it. No amount of Clorox or dry cleaning is going to change that. She can't fix that. The problem is too big. It's going to be greenish-brown for the remainder of the time that it exists. So that is our mess. That is me and you. That is the people of Israel. That is us as humanity. We are dishonorable, disobedient, hungry, forgetful, hard-hearted people. So what's the solution? We're going to see these same patterns day by day. So let's try to make sure we we get some hangers in our brain for this kind of thing. God's solution is that He actually cleanses us and makes us righteous. Let me say that again. God's solution is that God actually cleanses us and makes us righteous. Let me just pick this up again and read for you. And listen to what God says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Ezekiel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act. Verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. I will remove the heart of stone. Verse 27, I... Okay, you're like, dude, we got it. But do you really? Who is doing all of the acting here? God. Here's, Here's what's wild. God steps into this mess, fully realizing who these people are and what they are like. And He does not give them a list. He does not come to these people and say, okay, you got a mess, that's a problem, it's okay, I understand your mess, here's how you get yourself out. That is not what God does. God says, I see your mess, I understand your mess, here's how I am going to fix it. Not because of you, not because of who you are or what you have done. You haven't impressed me, but because I am God and because my glory is essential and because you are a needy people, I will love you and I will enter in. So what's He going to do? Well, first, God is going to vindicate His honor and His holiness. That's a fancy way of saying that God will make sure people understand who He really is and what He is really like. God will make sure that people see that He is holy, yes, but He is also kind and gracious and merciful and forgiving and a redeeming God. God actually cleanses us. He says this repeatedly, kind of over and over and over again. Four separate times, I will cleanse you. God is going to take 
everything that we have dirtied about ourselves and our world and make it right. God's going to give us a new and a living heart. I mean, this is literal heart transplant, what God says here. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. So he takes this, funk, and takes this, and puts it in your chest. That is a beautiful picture of God giving not just transformation, but absolute renewal, such that we have new life. It says that God enables our obedience by His Spirit. I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. God says, I see your disobedience. I know that you can't do any better even if you try. Therefore, I will send my Spirit to live in you such that you will actually obey. God draws us together and draws us close. We're going to spend a lot more time on that idea this week. So come back. If you want to hear more about that idea. God feeds us in excess. I don't have time to reread it all, but if you go back, he talks about the fruit uh, of the trees blossoming. There not being any more famine in the land. God reminds us of who we really are. He brings us to a place of confession and repentance. Let me just say this as a quick aside. We think that it's actually healthiest for us to constantly hide and deny our sin. God is clearly saying here in Ezekiel and in so much of Scripture, the very best thing for us is to be people who confess our sin and run to Him in repentance. Again, what is God doing when He comes to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day? Is He surprised by their disobedience? No. Does He actually not know where they are? No. What is He doing? Giving them a he is showing them and us that even at our very worst, He moves toward us and He invites our confession and repentance. Okay? The reality is that God makes these people even better than new because He promises them things that they had never yet enjoyed and a life that they had never yet experienced. I told you I like old cars. So we think about this idea. There's a sense in which God, God takes a people that are mangled, rusty, disgusting like this top car and He makes it better than when it rolled off the factory line. He takes the engine out completely and gives it a brand new one. That wasn't made of Adam. It's in there. It's just behind the firewall. Um, okay? Let's take note of a few things, then we'll finish up. You might have a couple of questions. We're almost there. You're doing a great job. One, I've already said this, recognize, 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 put a star by it, underline it, bold it, write it down. God does all the work. Salvation is in His hands. As we look at the mess of our lives, here's the very worst thing that we could do to start. Here's some mess. Man, if I work hard enough or if I educate myself well enough or if I get enough resources, I can make this all better all by myself. That is a lie and a dangerous one. It is God alone who brings salvation. 
And so the very best thing that we can do when we begin to recognize mess about our own lives or the lives of other people or the world around us is to come to God in prayer and to ask Him to begin to work, to continue to work, to send His Spirit by His power to work and to help us to see how we might come alongside Him in that work. Okay? God is ultimately working for His own honor and glory here. That means that his, our work doesn't motivate Him toward action or guarantee His blessing. However, the glory of God and the eternal good of His people cannot be separated. As, you read, as I read through that, you may have thought, well, God just sounds like He's super selfish here. I will vindicate my honor. I will vindicate my honor. I will do what's best for me. Here's what we need to remember. As God secures His own glory, He also secures the eternal good of His people. You can't, you can't separate those two things. They always go together in the Bible. The glory of God and the good of the kingdom. So recognize that. Third, and maybe this is the most important thing that we see today, God has secured our complete renewal through the person and work of Jesus. I said that earlier. But do you guys remember when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus at night? Nicodemus says, okay, how how can someone actually be saved? How, How can someone get into the kingdom, Jesus? What does Jesus say? You must be... Somebody said it, but not with much confidence. You must be born again. You know what Jesus is saying? Nicodemus is probably looking for a list of things to do because he's a Pharisee and Pharisees are good at lists. Give me a few more things to do here, Jesus. Jesus says you have to start over completely. Now here's the problem. Were you responsible for your own birth? Nope. Neither was I. And so if we are going to be born again, who's going to have to do that? God. We must be born again. The beautiful thing, and we learn this in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus does the promised work of God from Ezekiel 36. Lastly, as Christians, we have actually already received the blessing of God's indwelling Holy Spirit. That happens in the book of Acts. It's something that all believers now share in. So that Spirit that God promised there in Ezekiel 36, He is our indwelling power as God's people, as the child of God. Okay? Kind of a closing illustration for you. Any uh, Chronicles of Narnia fans in in the room? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. If you don't like to read, that's cool too. Um, So the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, we meet a guy in, uh, in the real world named Eustace Scrub. He's really selfish. Yeah. He's really messy, and he really doesn't care. Um, he's kind of a jerk. So he makes his way into Narnia, and as he's in Narnia, he's really selfish. He's really messy, and he's the jerk. And he doesn't care. And because of that, he actually finds himself transformed into a dragon, and his circumstances are really horrific. And he comes to the place by God's grace, by Aslan's grace, (laughs) 
of wanting to change, of knowing that he desperately needs change, but he cannot change himself. But what happens? Aslan the lion comes and he takes all of this dragon flesh and just peels it off of him. And it hurts and it's ugly and it stings, but it is good. As God enters into our mess, as He, as he secures His glory and our good, as He begins to work in your life and your world and the lives of the people that you know and love, some of it's going to hurt. A lot of it's going to be confusing. It will be strange, but it will also be glorious and it will be good. Because God moves toward our mess in and through Jesus Christ. So what's the big point? The big point for you and me is that God can clean anyone no matter how dirty. If you today are looking into your life, your relationships, your family, what you have done or haven't done, what you've looked at, what you've said, where you've been, who you've been with, and you think to yourself, I am a mess. I am spiritually filthy. My life is disobedience and hard-heartedness and dishonorable. And I can't do anything about it. Here's the good news of the Gospel. God can and He does. And He is not inviting you this morning into a get better by your own work program. He is saying, sit back, confess, repent, and watch me work. I will give a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cleanse you, no matter how dirty you may be. That's just a taste of the gospel from Ezekiel 36. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time together. Thank You, Lord, for the opportunity to be Your people. Thank You, Lord, for being gracious and kind to us in Jesus. Help us to see today that although we are messy, although we are dirty, although our lives are complicated, You are a sufficient Savior. You are running toward us by Jesus. And You can make us clean. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright guys, thanks for your great attention. Hope to see you tomorrow. You are dismissed.